The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Twas a big Wednesday. Twas the night before Thursday, and all through the league, more bodies were found. I got no rhyme for this one. Just more people getting hurt. That's the story these days. Ejections and injuries and thumb stuff. Yeah, thumb stuff coming in hard these days. Dislocated fingers, jammed thumbs, dislocated thumb. I mean, it's a whole damn thing. You literally could not get through any of the early games without somebody beating up their hand and missing some sort of time. I think the only one we don't have, maybe we do have a timeline on DeAndre Jordan already. I know he was ruled out. I know he wanted to get his finger popped back in mid-ball game, but I haven't seen a report on how long he's going to be out. The other stuff I have, and we'll get to that. Daniel Gafford out. Jalen Brown hurt his hand. (sighs) It's a thing, man. It's a scene. Anywho. Can't complain. Can't complain. We got other stuff going on. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Bespris. It's your Thursday edition, I think. I can't keep this crap figured out. I mean, it's, uh, the, the, everything is all sorts of out of whack because, well, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it as we work our way through the car. I got all these things that I want to complain about, news-related, but pretty much all of it relates to the, the games happening on Wednesday night, so we'll just attack it in pieces, Okay. Okay, starting at the beginning, Detroit beat Boston on the road as a nine-point underdog. That was really something. Markeith Morris, the whole Pistons, frankly, just caught fire. They shot 60% for the ball game. Andre Drummond, a perfect six for six, but one for five at the free throw line with five turnovers, so that sunk part of his line. But 13, 13, 7, 3, and 1, you know, you'll handle it. He's in a weird place right now. There was a, a play where... He was calling for the ball in the post against, I believe at the time, it was Daniel Tice. And as you can see, no one was really doing a great job of guarding Andrew, uh, Andre Drummond in this game. And he didn't get the ball in the post, and he looked a little bit dejected. It was, it was like a very small version of the Kevin Love thing. But his team made so many damn shots that, like, how can you really be upset? The guys around you are just raining in buckets. Markeith Morris, 23 points on 14 shots. Zvi Mikhailuk, 21 points on 9 shots. Derrick Rose, 22 points on 13 shots. Sekou Dumbuya, 24 points on 13 shots. This was a butt-kicking. Not the direction you expected. Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown were both very good for the Celtics, but the rest of the team just didn't show up. Kemba Walker, off-shooting night. Marcus Smart was way out of sorts, and then he got himself ejected. Jalen Brown apparently has an injured thumb. I didn't see it happen, but he missed all five of his free throws in this game. Celtics were driving drunk, man. This was a weird one. Ennis Cantor only saw 16 minutes because he was just getting roasted on the interior by the perimeter players of the Pistons. They were just taking him to the bucket and scoring. So this was an ugly one. For the Celtics, I don't think you make large-scale adjustments to your expectations, but boy, I mean, this is a, a stark indictment, apparently, of how much they need Jason Tatum on the floor. Apparently, I guess he's their motor. I didn't see that one coming. 
As far as anything we we take away from this ballgame, number one, you figured when Andre Drummond played, didn't get ejected, and didn't get benched, Christian Wood was going to take a fat hit, and he took a fat hit. Seven minutes played for Wood. Drummond, 38. So that means Wood didn't even get all the backup center minutes. Don Maker got three backup center minutes. Bruce Brown, oddly enough, has lost his minutes to a big lineup, if you can believe that. Tim Frazier playing 19 minutes off the bench. We can handle that because that would mean that Brown would get the other 29. I'm doing the math right there, I'm fairly certain. But then they went they went smaller, or they went bigger, I should say, where Derrick Rose was the only ball handler on the floor, and then it was Rose, a couple of shooters... Well, one, really one shooter, I guess. Or two, if you want to call Tony Smell a shooter. And then sometimes rotating bodies like Dumbuya, Markeith Morris, and or Andre Drummond, depending on who was on the floor at any one time. But they were not running a ton of Bruce Brown point guard now. And with Reggie Jackson apparently close to return, my love for Bruce Brown has evaporated quickly. He is now a drop. You can cast him into the ocean, man. If he's not getting 30-something minutes, he is not worth using on your fantasy team. I know his numbers look good if you look at sort of last week, last two weeks, that kind of stuff, but it's a stark drop-off. Dumbuya, you're holding. He's been good lately. Not, I mean, not a ton in this one besides scoring, but he's he's getting a lot of opportunity. Question is, how does this all... Sh- does Markeith Morris ramp his minutes up? Is that going to keep going higher? He's played more minutes each game since he's been back. He's not an ad, despite the big ball game, but if his minutes get up and continue to, to climb... You know, 10, 15, 18, 22, that kind of thing. If he's up into the mid to high 20s at some point soon, then yeah. Because there is a ton of opportunity at power forward. And if Dumbuya, who's been seeing a lot of those power forward minutes, if he runs out of gas, as rookies sometimes do, then Markeith, the old man, ready to slot right in. So keep a close watch on this. And no, I'm not picking up Svi, if that's your other question. If I'm hoping it wasn't. Spencer Dinwiddie finally had a better ball game, still missed some free throws and didn't have any defensive stats, but overall, this is you take this one as a pretty good win for him lately. Kyrie Irving was very much off his game. DeAndre Jordan dislocated his finger. It was gross. They wanted to pop it back in. It didn't quite work. I don't know what kind of recovery that might be. You know, if he was Kobe Bryant, he'd just tape two fingers together and play tomorrow, but, I mean, what's the hurry, really? So he's probably going to miss a few games, and that means Jared Allen time is here. You know who actually played really nicely in this ballgame was Torian Prince, who I had just kind of pooped on on Twitter, tired of his 38% volume shooting on the year. And, you know, to his credit, he actually has shot the ball better in the few games since Kyrie's been back. Two of the three games, he shot over 50% here since the return of Kyrie. And Kyrie didn't even have a good ball game. There's just a There's just a scenario where his volume gets to take a hit, but his shot selection gets better. And that might be a win for him, even if the counting stuff comes down a little bit. Because the rebounding should stay fairly well intact. Steals should stay fairly well intact. You might even see more assists if guys around him hit shots, which would happen if there was a guy around him that was better. Volume has not really been Torian Prince's friend. I'm totally fine with him going 5 for 9, 5 for 10, even 5 for 11 would be a vast improvement for him, as opposed to 5 for 14. So we'll see how that whole thing shakes out. I think that, honestly, if you're in a 12-teamer, I think Dinwiddie, Torian, Prince, Karis LeVert are all droppable. Joe Harris, too. And you guys can kill me for that opinion. That's fine. You can disagree. I just haven't seen anything to convince me that these guys are 12-team, 9-category guys long-term. I haven't seen it. Especially not when the team is healthy. 
Philly went to a slightly different look against the guard-heavy Brooklyn Nets. They threw Matisse Thybul into the starting unit, and he played very well. Had six defensive stats while largely dealing with Dinwiddie and Kyrie Irving, and that turned out to be something that the Sixers needed. And Tobias Harris had one of his good ones. He popped off for 34 points on 20 shots, 10 boards, 3 assists, 4 three-pointers. This was a nice one. Al Horford, as we figured, crushing it without Joel Embiid around. And Ben Simmons has one of his down free throw games, which obviously sinks the overall value, but otherwise things were pretty good. And this was another case where the starters were the guys for Philadelphia. No, I'm not picking up Matisse Thybul. You know, this is the... I mean, if he didn't get the wild defensive stats he got, which, as we've talked about, you're not going to get six every game, this really would have been pretty bad. <laughs> San Antonio lost in Miami. DeMar DeRozan is on one of his little benders right now, and so LaMarcus Aldridge taking a little bit of a backseat to that. You'll see his ranking drop a hair. But overall, LaMarcus's stuff is somewhat slow game resistant, not that he won't fall off of, you know, 12, 15. He's down into the low 20s now. He's just, when the percentages are high, which they are for him, and when he's not doing anything to hurt you, which he doesn't, and now he's suddenly added the three-point shot, which is pretty crazy, you can have a couple bad games and it really won't move you very much. I don't think any of us really thought he was going to stay number 12 for the entire season. It's a little bit of a sell high, but at the same time, I think you just ride it out. He'll have hot stretches, he'll have cold stretches. This is the same old story for me. I know DeJounte Murray had a quiet one as well, and Patty Mills was the other spur to get hot. But when you score 100 points in the modern NBA, there are going to be some guys that don't do much. And if you score 100 points and one of your guys has 30 of them, probably a lot of your guys are not going to do much. And if your team only gets 41 rebounds in the ball game, because it was just a slow, plodding game... And they didn't get to run very much because Kendrick Nunn just hit everything he took. It's not going to be a great fantasy game. Jimmy Butler was garbage for Miami. They still managed to win, which tells you that they've got some other options out there. Nunn had a hot one. He'll cool off. Adebayo was pretty good, but not great. Good counting stuff. Bad percentages. Derek Jones Jr. was better, but with James Johnson around, he's capped. And Duncan Robinson who I've said a number of times is the guy I think is resistant to the other BS going on with this team, played 39 minutes in this game, 11-6, and six, a block and three-pointers. He's above the cut line for me, barely, but above it, and really very specialist-y as well. So there's plenty of teams out there where you're like, I don't really need a guy that's hitting three three-pointers a game. Then, yeah, you, I get it. You can probably pass on that one. Washington-Chicago was another one that I was relatively interested in going into the night because we're curious how the minutes were going to start moving for people. First, we got a report before the ball game that Thomas Bryant was still going to be capped at about 18 minutes, and he only played 12 and a half, which is odd. You would expect a guy that is supposed to be their starting center to get up to his minutes cap, but apparently they wanted to roll with more Jan Mahimi, who, for all of the opportunities he's been given here, is still a garbage fantasy player. Troy Brown Jr. was curious what his minutes were going to look like with everybody healthy. They were not good. Anche Pastishnich played 18 minutes in an odd twist, but we weren't really watching him. Davis Breton, 26 minutes. He is also on a minutes cap that's going to slowly rise, and so things are just going to get more convoluted. Isaiah Thomas and Ish Smith went back to splitting the point guard minutes, which means neither guy is fantasy relevant. 
and Jordan McRae, who was the one guy that I mentioned after the last ballgame. I said, I'm going to give him another game just to see if his role can kind of stay. And as the gunner, the other guy that they are relying on now to go get him some buckets, he actually maintained that. Tied with Bradley Beal for the second most shots on the team behind Davis Bertans, if his usage stays in those mid to high 20s and his minutes stay in the mid to high 20s, then he belongs on fantasy rosters, particularly in points leagues where he's just out there firing away like a loony bin. So I think you're at a position now with Washington where we can say, at this moment, you start Bradley Beal, you start Davis Bertans, you start Jordan McRae in a points league. You can wipe him probably off the board in nine cat. Two weeks from now, you can probably add Thomas Bryant to the starting list among those names. The question is, does McRae last that long? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride it just a little bit longer. Chicago side. Also something we were paying attention to because I was falling in love with Daniel Gafford and he hurt his thumb one minute into the ballgame. The absolute worst thing that can happen for a guy and for a fantasy team is an early game injury. He's got to miss the whole game, which sucks for him because Gafford was looking really nice. His last couple of games had been super productive. He was averaging 12, 5, and a block and a half over those two games. It looked like he was going to get 20-plus minutes while Wendell Carter Jr. was out, and then that all came crashing down. He's expected to miss between two weeks and a month with his thumb injury. That sucks. And Luke Cornett is the pickup. I mean, real fast. Thad Young got only 21 minutes off the bench. They ran Cornett at center a lot, and his fantasy game is well-documented. I mean, he was way down on the depth chart with this team. I mean, buried beyond buried beyond buried. He was averaging nine minutes a game coming into this one. And he got 35 minutes tonight. He was getting about 10 of Wendell Carter Jr.'s minutes when he went down, and now he's picking up almost all of Daniel Gafford's. So he's just going, man. He should be added in every damn league as far as the eye can see because there aren't that many guys out there that can go knock down two three-pointers and get two blocks a game. There is a reason that he is called the Unicornet. Unicornet, Luke Cornet, is because he is a very much a poor man's Kristaps Porzingis. If you take all of KP's stats and you just ratchet them down by a click or two, because he's obviously not going to get anywhere near his overall production, if you just take all the numbers and you just bring them down, by about the same percentage in every single department, you've got Luke Cornett. What's that? You want a center that's going to shoot like 42%? I'll give you Luke Cornett, who's going to shoot 38. What's that? You want a center that's going to hit 1.6 three-pointers per game? I'll give you Luke Cornett, who's going to hit 1.3. Although, actually, in more minutes, he might act, he might beat Porzingis in that department. What's that? You want a big man with uh, 80% foul shooting? Luke Cornett, actually, 82. He's better. You want a center that's going to only grab like six rebounds, seven rebounds a game? I'll give you Cornette. He's going to get you five. <laughs> yeah, there they are. He is Kristaps Porzingis playing half the number of minutes. That's what it's been with him. So he is, to me, a must-add guy because you've got at least two weeks, and then if Gafford is slow to heal, maybe you have as many as three or four. I don't care the format. He deserves to be on basketball teams. So move fast. I only got him, what did I get? I think I got him in one spot. 
honestly. I moved. I, I got. I picked him up within like an hour of the news happening, and I think I got him in one, maybe two spots. So people were really diving in real quick, as they should be, because this is a wide open road. For Roto, this is particularly nice, because whatever he rolls up in the blocks department, you can just count it. Just put it into the bucket and enjoy it. Head-to-head, I get it. Maybe you're not pouncing on him as quick, because there's an end date. Either Gafford or Wendell Carter Jr., but there's an end date. But he's going to be real good in the short term, man. There's just nobody coming for those minutes because Cristiano Felicio is, according to analytics, the worst player in the NBA. I don't know if that's technically true, but he's horrible. The worst, that's a stretch. Bad, not a stretch at all. Thad Young was good, but 21 minutes isn't enough. He's not going to be this efficient every single game. Sadoransky looked great. Zach Levine was good. Chicago with a nice win going away from Washington, 115-106. And nothing else really changes much. Luke, or Chris Dunn maintaining that starter's role, but he his usage has plummeted to such a point where I can't even advocate despite the four defensive stats. Injuries are interesting. This one pissed me off because I had a few, I had a few uh, Daniel Gaffords that I was counting on I was like, all right, great. Got in there. What did he get? He got like a layup on the first possession of the game. I thought, this is going great. He got a steal, a rebound, a bucket. Things were humming a minute and a half, and then boom, done. I had just watched, I have a team that has DeAndre Jordan on it too, which I, I know, not great. It's a, it's, I'm running a little bit deeper on that one. Kind of needed a field goal percent specialist. Don't worry about that. But just to see guys go down within like four minutes of each other on two teams that I'm looking at, teams that desperately need, by the way, health and the stats that these guys are providing, that was a, a real kick to the nards. Anyway, Indiana 104, Minnesota 99. Demonis Sabonis stuck it in our eye after we talked about the fact that he's running on a sore knee, sandbagging it, apparently. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Miles Turner had a bad ball game. Sabonis just pushed his way back into the forefront, and, and rightfully so. He had a great game. Malcolm Brogdon, awesome. And nobody else needed to do a whole lot. T.J. Warren was okay. Jeremy Lamb was okay. As mentioned, Turner was not very good. Here, here's what I'm thinking on this one, and then I, I have thoughts on the Minnesota side as well. A lot, a lot of teams, actually, that I want to dig into on this Wednesday recap. I don't... Who needs a guest on a Thursday podcast when you can talk about all these games? All of them were so freaking interesting. Ten-game card, and what are they? Like, one game where I didn't have anything that I was paying close attention to. Okay. The Sabonis stuff... It worries me for despite the fact that he came out and just hammer blasted Minnesota. I know this was a good ball game in every respect. Shot the ball well, hit his free throws, even had a steal and a block to boot. Double double six assists. All of this screamed great. But the report that he can't, I'm going to harp on this, that he can't make it any worse with the knee is just all the red flags. That means something is busted. That means no matter what you do, it's just going to be messed. And they're going to have to probably fix whatever it is at some point. They're being awfully cryptic about why the knee is sore. But if you have something that's sore that's not going to get any worse, that's some magical ailment that I've never heard of or something that's just sort of, like, busted. And you can deal with it for four months, or they're hoping five and then fix it in the offseason, or fix it now, or fix it with prolonged rest. But this is the type of stuff where I know doctors say, well, you're not going to make it any worse. Yeah, I mean, yes, 
but I have a sore toe right now, and every time I walk long distances, my calf hurts because I'm walking differently. You know, this is the type of stuff, and these guys are putting all the pressure in the world on this sore. So, like, I, you can't convince me that if Demonis Bonus has a sore knee, that it's not impacting the way that he's moving. That's how you blow out a hamstring on the other side. That's how you blow out a calf on the sore side. You're taking pressure off of the part of you that hurts. It's just human nature. There's no way he can operate on something that hurts without trying to avoid the hurt. That's just how the brain works. So if I'm a Sabonis owner, which I'm not, unfortunately, I target him everywhere and I didn't get him in any of the damn places I wanted to, in this moment, as he moves back inside the top 50 with a big ball game, you go try to move him for someone in that 45 range. Get another great player. Yeah, it changes the construction of your team a little bit to lose a big field goal percent and rebound guy, but a lot of his stuff is actually fairly replaceable. The rebounds are the hardest thing to cover with Sabonis, as you look at the other guys ranked near him overall. Look at the guys ranked around 50, which is where Demonis has slid back to here. I think he's back into the he's in the mid 40s now after this big ball game. Look at the guys around him. Gordon Hayward. What is he? Two, three slots behind Sabonis? Same exact field goal percent, better free throws, scoring's about the same. You get a couple extra three pointers, steals and blocks, almost the same, same assists. You take a hit, seven rebounds a game, gain a three pointer, improve your free throw percent. There you go. You're freed from the guy with the busted now. Gordon Hayward has his own issues, but Tobias Harris is 48 right now. I'd make that swap in a heartbeat. And then you just go find some rebounds out there. They keep popping up right now, guys. If Evita Zubats plays a couple more minutes a game, he could give you nine rebounds a night. I'm just, I'm worried. I know I don't usually hit the panic button, but it worries me. It worries me in a real way. I don't have any thoughts on Miles Turner. I thought he was coming around, and then he just got pushed out in this one. He got Rob Covington. Which, by the way, brings me to point number two. Play the mother bleep at center. Miles Turner power forward is a garbage experiment. It doesn't work for this team. And it sucks because you threw him out of his comfort zone against maybe the best defender, wing defender in the NBA in Rob Covington. If I had my my damn glasses on when I was looking at this game's preview, I would have said, oh yeah, this is doomed. This is doomed from the get-go. By the way, Rob Covington, top 15 guy the last month, so he's come around. You're welcome for yelling at you guys to draft that guy. Otherwise, on the Minnesota side, a couple of interesting notes. Jared Culver, who we've been talking about basically after every Minnesota game, has dodged the free throw line <laughs> lately, which is good. And this is this game was a better example of some of his upside. 17 points, 5 boards, 2 steals, a block, and a 3-pointer. The 2 steals and block thing, that's not unusual for him. He has the profile of someone that can rack up defensive stats. I love him as somebody down the stretch, and I really love him for dynasty and keeper stuff. He profiles as their ball-handling wing of the future, who can defend like a son of a gun. Jared Culver, Rob Covington together on defense. That's mean, man. That is mean. Shabazz Napier's a drop. Jeff Teague, I think, is a drop. 
Andrew Wiggins, I would call a drop because he looks like the old Andrew Wiggins, but you probably, you kind of have to hang on. Still no Carl Anthony Towns. Gorgie Jenks minutes trending back up against a giant Indiana front court, but they've been going small a little bit lately against teams that are running a little more than Indiana does. By the way, don't mean to alarm anyone, but we are now under two weeks from Victor Oladipo Day. Not that there isn't going to be a large ramp-up period with him, but... So Jared Culver, he's probably on almost all fantasy teams at this point, but if he's not, he really should be. He's, he's trending up, and he's starting to figure things out from the field, at least. And as long as he keeps dodging the free-throw line, well, then we can coast on that one. Kata Bates-Diop, no, you're not picking him up. Toronto went with their sledgehammer starting lineup of Kyle Lowry. Listen to this. Kyle Lowry, shooting guard OG Ananobi, small forward... Pascal Siakam, power forward Serge Ibaka, and center Marcus Gasol. That's a heavy damn lineup fit to play the 76ers. And they put up a buck 30 on the Thunder, shooting 61% from the field in the ballgame. OG apparently really enjoyed playing shooting guard. He had 21 points, five boards, five assists, three steals, three three pointers. Marcus Gasol, welcome back. No minutes cap. He played 32 minutes his first game back at 15, 5, and 6. Fire him up, baby. Siakam, 21 points. Norman Powell, sixth man. 23 points and 11 shots off the bench, but didn't really do anything else. So you'll hang on there a little bit longer. And Serge Ibaka at 15, 6 in 30 minutes. I have no idea what happens to this team when Freddie Van Fleet comes back. Terrence Davis's 17 minutes likely evaporate. Patrick McCaw's 25 minutes likely evaporate. The question is, my questions for this team when Van Vliet returns is twofold. One, can Serge Ibaka keep his minutes over 25? And two, can Norman Powell keep his minutes over 25? I see a way to do it, but I don't know if it's going to happen. The way is, Ananobi plays around 30, so eight-ish of his minutes tonight would have gone to Van Vliet. Lowry's minutes are not trending down anytime soon. Patrick McCaw's 25 goes down to about 12, so 13 of those go to Van Vliet, and now we're sitting on, what did I say, about 21? And I would hope that Terrence Davis's 17 goes down to about 6, and that would get Van Vliet into the 30s. Toronto also needs to try to keep their guys' minutes under 35, 36 a game. I hope that Nick Nurse is learning his lesson, that would allow Serge and Norman Powell to have fantasy value, but we got to wait and see on that front. For the time being, you basically have six guys you can run out on this team right now. OG, Gasol, Siakam, Lowry, Serge. Fire them all up for the time being. Shea had another good ball game. Chris Paul had another good ball game. Dennis Schroeder had a good ball game. Danilo Gallinari had a good ball game. And Steven Adams played six minutes and hurt his knee. By the way, if you can still trade for Nerlens Noel, you should do it immediately. They don't really have another center they can go to. Mike Muscala played 31 minutes in this game. That's a gross thing that happened in Oklahoma City. I don't even I can't even advocate a, a stream on Mike Muscala. He's terrible. Denver beat up on Charlotte. Ball game ended up getting a little bit closer down the stretch, but that was just blowout rules. Terry Rozier logged bonus minutes for reasons I'm not certain of. Devontae Graham, uh, once again, killed you with his field goal percent. I know everybody's like, hold on there. I, I don't know that his field goal percent is actually coming up. I'm, I'm skeptical, somewhat. Doesn't matter. You know how I feel about this Charlotte team. I really don't like them from a fantasy standpoint. 
Miles Bridges was uh, okay as we sort of keep tabs on him. P.J. Washington was decent. He's another one that I think is worth owning. And then for Denver, the minute distribution was wild. Jamal Murray hurt his ankle and left early. Michael Porter actually picked up those minutes, and that could be a short-term little run for him because both Gary Harris and Jamal Murray ended up out in this ballgame. So that meant more Monty Morris, more Michael Porter Jr., more Will Barton, Nikola Jokic still mostly just facilitating in this one, and then Jeremy Grant filling in for Paul Millsap. So they got three starters down right now. Can you just use the starters like usual? Eh, it's not as clear with everybody hurt. Jeremy Grant is a yes. Barton and Jokic are obviously yeses. But then, I mean, do we really even... Tory Craig? Nah. Is Monty Morris going to get the start? He'll just be really efficient, but he probably won't do a whole lot. I don't know that I'd venture a whole lot farther, and I think at this point you just keep tabs and see who's going to be playing for this Denver team in their next ballgame. Portland, Houston. As you figured, there were a decent number of points scored in this game, and it was the usual suspects on the Portland side. Kent Bazemore actually played better, finally. A little bit of usage for that dude goes a long way. Just getting him involved in the ball game, and then all of a sudden some threes drop, he goes to get some rebounds, he gets some steals, some blocks, all, everything changes when he actually looks like he gives a crap. For Houston, was curious if P.J. Tucker could break his own record for low usage, and he's trying, man. Good grief. Just pull the trigger on a shot, dude. Anytime. I'm, I know I'm holding, and I know it's, it's going to crush my spirit. He's just going to sit on my bench for the time being. Ben McLemore is a one-trick pony. I'm not picking him up. He's like Duncan Robinson with a really bad field goal percent. Eric Gordon. I could actually... <laughs> Eric Gordon, Ben McLemore. Let's play whose line is it? 14 points, two boards, and four three-pointers. Was it? Ben McLemore, or was it Eric Gordon? There was a steal and a block. That's your hint. If you guessed Ben McLemore, you were right. I should also make mention I am doing the report on this game with three minutes to go, so that might change ever so slightly by the end. But I bet you everything I own, it ain't going to change by much. Maybe they each hit a three-pointer before the ball game's over or something like that. Yeah, that ball game's not quite done yet. I thought it was done. There's like two minutes left in it. Oops. Well, in any event, you guys get the idea. McLemore, Gordon, they're just going to hit three-pointers. And, uh, yeah, you can you can bank on it. I'm not making a move on either of these dudes. Plus, by the way, McLemore didn't even play that many minutes. I know that you're saying, Dan, you're telling me to hold P.J. Tucker, who's basically standing on the court and urinating down his leg and not telling me to pick up McLemore instead. Yep, that's what I'm telling you. I stand by my play. Have the guy who's peeing himself. Okay. So Eric Gordon's line must have been the second line on our chart. 17 points, two boards, one assist, and five three-pointers with no steals, no blocks, and 35% from the field. Ben McLemore was blistering at 36% from the field in this game. Those guys will kill you in a lot of categories. Please don't. Please don't dive headlong into that stuff. Yuck. Yuck. For the Mavericks, Luka Doncic, not surprisingly, very good. Tim Hardaway got a little bit warm in this ballgame. Dwight Powell's been solid lately, and then uh, Maxi Kleba was okay. Although, there's a note on this ballgame that's buried in everything, is that about an hour before the game, we heard word that Kristaps Porzingis was going to play, but just a few minutes in his first game back, and then right before tip, they said, nah, we don't want to. 
go Porzingis. Porzingis missed this one. I've got to think that means he's playing in the next ball game unless they come out and say there was a legitimate setback. It felt like this was like game time decision stuff. I hope it's just he was really close and they decided they didn't want to push it because Sacramento stinks and they figured they could just sort of cakewalk their way through this ball game, which, you know, right or wrong going into a ball game, that's probably true. It is concerning, though. So let's wait on a report on that one. This is this is one of those moments where you're like, please just, just be extra cautious. If this is something significant, then the Maxi Kleber stream gets better. For Sacramento, as we keep saying, just keep riding him on you, Bielitsa. He of nine lives, he's just going to keep on getting a truckload of minutes until this team gets fully healthy, and we don't know when that is. We did see, by the way, Rashawn Holmes doing some drills with both left and right arms, so that's a good sign. He's still expected to miss another couple of weeks, but let's hope that that's all it is. You know, maybe he shows up in a week and a half, and we all can get super excited. I don't think he's going to miss another month. That feels like a long one that, you know, when he's already going through stuff on the basketball court. Otherwise, for the Kings, you guys know how I feel. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is another guy with Bielitsa. Marvin Bagley is probably going to get there soon. And then Buddy Heald has been meh most of the year, but obviously he's a start. And then the Lakers and the Magic. Still no Anthony Davis, so Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, their streams remain strong. And you don't venture any farther than that. For Orlando, I know Markel Fultz, intermittently has more impressive ball games, but generally you're looking at Nick Vucevic. I I mean, people, you're going to kill me for this. Aaron Gordon is a drop. He's been horrible. Let somebody else deal with him sagging their percentages down. Evan Fournier was a late scratch, eh, midday scratch for this game, doing the quad thing. Doesn't sound that bad. DJ Augustine also missed one, so they're a little bit of the walking wounded. But they're not interesting anyway. I mean, even with all of these guys out, there really wasn't much that you were like, oh, cool. Wesley Awundu did a little bit more, mostly shooting free throws. And then, obviously, when everybody's out, Markel Fultz is a must-start guy. But when they're fully healthy, he has not been a fantasy value to this point. I don't know why everybody keeps trying to convince me that it's Markel Fultz, that he's better than other people. I like that he's having success from a reality standpoint. He's number 165 in 27 minutes a game this year, guys. It's not really, it's not really fantasy He's actually played more than that, and his averages have been worse because his percentages have gotten worse. He's 64% the line the last month, 44 from the field. That number will probably come up because he didn't shoot three-pointers very much. But, I mean, a couple of assists, a couple of steals, he's, he's like a slightly less disgusting Alfred Payton in terms of fantasy. Although, again, I can't, I can't help but root for him, but he just isn't a fantasy asset. It's not even really, it's not even a question mark. Like, he he hasn't been close. It was a busy Wednesday. It's a whole podcast right there. It's not the whole podcast because we still have to profile Thursday. Don't get worried, everybody. We got more to do. Thursday card. Short, luckily. Five games. Phoenix is at New York. Utah, New Orleans, Boston, Milwaukee, Orlando on the back-to-back. They've got the Clippers and the uh, Denver Nuggets are in Golden State. They're on their own little back-to-back, banged up though they may be, and traveling between ballgames here. But before we get into that, I skipped all the stuff at the beginning of the podcast that I normally try to remind you guys of, and every day I sort of I roll the die 
to see which is the big thing that I want to promo. And today, I mean, man, I've been crushing you guys hard on that betting stuff. I'm going to give you a one-day respite from really hammering you on our new betting deal here at HoopBall. Uh, but I do want to remind you guys to please follow HoopBall Gaming. HoopBall Gaming is the new handicapping Twitter feed for HoopBall, where we talk about the picks that our guys are making, why they're making them. It's got breakdowns. If you want to get into sports betting and, and you've been doing the fantasy stuff, and obviously it's becoming much more mainstream, you got to check that out. Obviously, it's free. Twitter feed is free. All of our stuff is free. The podcast is free, etc. But please do. Begging you guys today, you'll be happy you did so tomorrow. Follow HoopBall Gaming, that Twitter feed. That'll get the job done for you there. And big thank you again to you guys that keep rating and reviewing the podcast. I have no idea how you keep coming out of the woodwork with this, but you do. I'm just like, all right, I'm going to keep asking, but I'm sure everybody's done it by now. And somehow, everybody hasn't done it yet. It's remarkable. So fat, fat, fat thank you guys to to those of you that keep coming out of the woodwork to rate and review the podcast. If any of you haven't done it yet, please do so via iTunes or the podcast app on your mobile device, whether it's an iPhone or an iPad or something from Apple that that connects with iTunes. That's the way they do it. If you're on iTunes, you can do it pretty easily. You just go to that podcast tab, and then there's a rate and review button when you search for Fantasy NBA Today. On the phone or the mobile device, it's a little bit tougher to find. As I've said before, you open up the podcast app, search, use the search button to search for Fantasy NBA Today, click on the show title, and then scroll to the bottom. You got to click on the big show title when you get to the search results and scroll all the way to the bottom. Drop that five-star review on it. If you want to write something nice, as I've been saying lately, you may have remembered this, I said I was going to start reading the reviews of the podcast live on air. And so today, we will do that for the very first time. Live on air, something somebody wrote about Today in Sports Betting, one of our 423 reviews. You guys are the best. And the most recent one, we'll just work our way backwards chronologically, is from GESGDDC. I don't know who you are, but thanks. Dan the Man, fun and easy, informative and useful. Thanks, man. That is review number one. This is going to give me a big head by the time this project is done. Luckily, there's some people that crushed me in here, and uh, that'll, that'll knock me down a peg. Like the one that says, Dan has a nice voice, but his views are suspect. Yeah, all right. I'll wear that one. Still, somebody wrote something nice, the front end of it. I mean, you guys... Anyway, you could do five stars and write something stupid and funny. I'd probably read that on air, too. I love you guys. You're the best. This is Fantasy NBA Today. If you want to review, rate and review the pod, let's, uh, let's keep racking those bad boys up. That's how we really burst forward subscriptions, ratings, and reviews. That makes all the difference for us here. So thank you for that. And now we can turn our attention to the Thursday card. Shorter one, but a few interesting things on the docket here on the Thursday edition. Uh, Phoenix at New York. Not a ton to uh, consider here, although we did get word that Kelly Oubre apparently suffered a concussion at some point during that last ball game, and he's in the concussion protocol, will not play in this game, so that sucks because he's been just dominating for a lot of hoop ball rosters this year. We'll see who steps up. It'll probably be Mikael Bridges if I had to guess, but I don't know that I feel comfortable with that stream because who knows? They could go big. They could go small. A lot of things could kind of go sideways. Hopefully you've been working on the Mitchell Robinson by low. We'll see what happens in this ball game. He might have another clunky one for all we know, but there is a, there is a stretch coming here when he gets healthy where he just goes bananas. Not a whole lot that I'm planning on doing 
as a result of this ball game. Same deal with the Utah side. For New Orleans, sounds like Derek Favors is likely to be back for this one. So that is super cool because he was clobbering before hurting that hamstring. Brandon Ingram also probable. Drew Holiday questionable. So it sounds like he may or may not get back in there. Probably not, if I had to guess. So does that mean that a guy like a Josh Hart maybe is still streamable? Questionable decisions there if you're going to flip those guys in. I'm really much more confident in kind of the key, the main guys, the Ingram uh, favors, obviously. And then beyond those dudes, it's a little bit of a crapshoot on that team. I, I think you throw Lonzo Ball into the mix as well. But in terms of the the shooting guards, the wing types, I don't know, man. I don't know that I feel comfortable rolling the dice with those dudes. So good news that guys are coming back, but not a whole lot else to go on. Boston had their look-ahead game with Detroit. I figure they'll play a lot better in this one. I don't have a, a line on Boston-Milwaukee yet, but I am looking for the Celtics to play really, really strong in this. I, I can't imagine they lay another egg like they just did with Detroit. That was a game where they were looking at this one. No question about it. Always a good decision to look to see who a team's playing next on their schedule, and you can usually m- kind of work that into your betting value. From a fantasy standpoint, I think you just stick with what you've been sticking with on the Boston side and, and hope that it all levels off uh, maybe not necessarily in a game against Detroit, maybe not against a great defense like the Bucks, but certainly overall. Orlando Clippers, um, I think the only thing you're really paying attention to, I mean, if, if Orlando has their entire team out again, then maybe you think about firing up a few of those fringe dudes, but I'm not that married to the idea. More than anything, I'm just curious what sort of minute count Ivica Zubats gets in this thing. Orlando does have a traditional center, although Vooch can spread the floor a little bit, but he's a big dude who plays generally like a bigger dude. Some of his stuff moving away from the rim, but a lot of it near to it. Does that mean that the Clippers continue to try to give Montrezl Harrell a little bit of a breather just in terms of minutes? His schedule's been super weird. There was an article by uh, Jovan Bua of The Athletic, who uh, has been on our Clippers podcast with Brandon Marcus before, that they just need to try to figure out a way to, to mess with Montrezl's minutes. You know, he comes in with Five, four, five, six minutes left in the third quarter, and then they expect him to basically play the rest of the ball game. From 15 to 17 straight minutes, that's that's crushing for a guy who goes high octane like he does. He's gassed, his play suffers, and I got to think that at some point that's the type of stuff that gets a guy hurt. So maybe you see more Zubats. I don't know. Maybe they finally start Montrez. Seems unlikely because they like to pair him with Lou Williams, but... It's something to monitor because if Zubat's minutes is trend, if his minutes trend up from 16, which isn't even close to fantasy value, to more like what we talked about with Brandon, 22-ish, that's a massive change for him. Keep an eye on it. First time we've actually had something to watch on the Clippers fantasy-wise most of the year since we basically had an idea who was going to be playing and how much. And then Denver-Golden State, we know what to deal is with Denver. Depending on who's in and who's out, you can make those decisions. But from a Golden State standpoint, Damian Lee signed his contract on Wednesday, so he'll be back in the lineup and presumably playing pretty good minutes. Super emotional deal for him to, to ink a multi-year contract. That's a pretty cool thing for a young, uh, not that young, he's like 27. So I don't expect this fantasy game to change a whole lot because he is kind of getting a late start on stuff. But, you know, if you need a few points, good free throw percent, kind of low field goal, good rebounding wing. I wonder if some of that stuff does peel off a tiny bit now that he has locked up the contract, the, the rebounds. I mean, that's the crazy hustle stuff that a guy's always going to do when he's playing for every cent, and now it's like, well, you know, team's terrible. Do we lose a rebound a game from him? I hope not, but it is within the realm of possibility. This is just, again, this is natural psychology 
for a guy to maybe take his foot off the gas a tiny bit. And then Omari Spellman, who's been playing well, had a quieter last ball game. Denver's defense is not exactly a good spot for him either. I hope that they would put Draymond Green on Nikola Jokic and let Spellman deal with someone maybe more like a Jeremy Grant, but we'll see how the Warriors ultimately play this, and plus there's so much switching in the modern NBA that who the hell knows who these guys are actually going to be guarding on a, a play-to-play basis. I still, I think I'd still throw Spellman out there. You know, the Warriors have a tendency to, to kind of loosen the strings on a lot of basketball games, and hopefully that works out well. And uh, let's see if he can put in another decent fantasy line, because by all accounts, his stat set is pretty good, and his rest-of-season outlook from a minutes standpoint is also pretty good, even though the Warriors did ink Marquise Chris to a two-way deal, and uh, he might be back with the team from time to time as well. But, I, I you know, I overall, I, I don't think that I'm making massive adjustments to the expectations with these guys. I just, I think that someone like Spellman, because of the stat set, playing 28 to 30 minutes, he does have a way of kind of getting into that top 90 discussion. I think Damian Lee's probably about a round, half round to a round behind him because of the low field goal percent. Uh, because Spellman could potentially get you steals and blocks, and you're not going to get blocks from Damian Lee. There's just that little tiny edge for the big man, as it does often tend to be in fantasy. If you're an efficient big man, you have a pretty an easier path to get into that late middle, early late round kind of spot, whereas guards really need to have more volume and, and wing guys need to have more of a defensive impact. So uh, I like Spellman a little bit more between those two guys. I think they're both really worth watching, especially as the Warriors start to most likely whittle the pieces down in the very weird scenario that Steph Curry gets back in there. That would obviously hurt a guy like Lee more than a guy like Spellman, who they need on the floor as a big man that can space the floor and with Lee, you don't need his scoring as much. You don't need his wing presence as much. If, and I still don't really think this is going to be a thing, but if, you know, Steph Curry comes back after the All-Star break or something, and even if he's playing limited minutes, they could run D'Angelo Russell at the two. They could run Glenn Robinson at the three, and then he's suddenly splitting minutes with Damian Lee, those two guys sharing a bucket, Spellman and, and Draymond Green in generally the bigger spot. So that would hurt him. And another reason to kind of like the Spellman side a little bit more than the Lee side between those two dudes. And that'll about do it for our Thursday podcast. Tomorrow we'll wrap up the week. We can review. We got our pickups, our drops, our watch list, our hold, our streamer guys. We'll do a preview of all 30 teams next game over the weekend. We'll, of course, break down the five games from Thursday and get you situated for weekend 13. Crazy stuff, man. Hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, as I keep mentioning. If you want to join us here at HoopBall as a contributor, bug me. We're not officially hiring anyone, as I keep saying, but we are looking for contributors, and uh, maybe that's you. So hit me up, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Rate and review the pod. Check out The Gambling Show. Check out The Gambling Twitter, at HoopBall Gaming, HoopBall Fantasy, Hawaiian Isles, Kona Coffee Company. And of course, do set up your damn account at mybookie.ag today. Stop goofing off and get it done. Mybookie.ag. Use promo code today when you're tailing the guys over at HoopBall Gaming that are basically winning. It's crazy, actually. It's what a way to open up a brand new Twitter account to just win every damn night. Uh, he had a bunch of college basketball plays on the docket today. It's not just NBA. We got plays for you all across the board, winners across the board. Yeah, they'll be losing days, obviously. They're always going to balance out. You're just looking to hit more than 52.4%. Build that bankroll. Do it with us at mybookie.ag, promo code today. Do it today. This is a really big deal, by the way, for us. I don't know if I've stressed that enough. Big, 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 big deal. 
to have a big-time corporate sponsor like that, to have a partner that allows us to get this gaming stuff off the ground. We need your help. We need you doing these accounts. We need you guys betting with us, winning with us. They don't care if you win. They just want you playing, man. They don't want you over there. And if we get you guys over there, and if you're doing it with us, because we're all over there, well, long-term partnerships. That's great for us. That's great for you as well. Folks, have a wonderful Thursday. I am Dan Vesperus. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.